All right, Christ Community Church, if you would be turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. This morning we'll be in verses uh, 12 through 14. And while you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I would like for us to walk away with this morning. It's this. Our baptism serves as a means of grace in helping us to mortify sin and vivify God's righteousness in Christ. Let me say that again. Our baptism serves as a means of grace in helping us to mortify sin and vivify God's righteousness in Christ. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's Word, this is Romans 6, 12 through 14. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for, for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we are approaching this text, I want to just remind us that Romans chapter 6, that Paul has been using the baptisms of the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians to help remind them of, of this firm foundation on which all of their salvations and future hopes rest. And he uses uh, what the baptism signifies and seals. Remember, baptism doesn't save. There's nothing necessarily magical about baptism itself. It's what it points to and then how the Spirit uses it in our lives day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year as a means of grace, as a means of reminding us of who and whose we are and what we have been given, what we have been so uh, eternally blessed with, eternal life and life more abundant. And that begins for us now. It's not just something that we pine for or something that will occur long in the future. It is something that makes a difference to us now. Our justification matters on a Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Walking in newness of life matters uh, every hour of every given day. And so he uses that as an opportunity to help them to understand how then they are to live, how they are to mature further into the image of Christ. And here, uh, this is essentially the what many have said is the pinnacle of the chapter. He's bringing it all the indicatives, all the, the declarations that he's been making about what it signifies and seals. And now he's going to give them a number of imperatives in just a few short verses as to how then they are to apply and live out their baptism. And, and so uh, as we turn to the text, let me ask a question first. Uh, how have you been shaped by your habits and patterns over the last year? Now, this is a good thing for us to reflect on regularly uh, because too often I think we wait until a year has passed to kind of look back or uh, a, period, a longer period of time has passed to reflect on and look back at things instead of a, a more ongoing assessment of, of how we're doing in various ways, how the different decisions that we make day in and day out are, are affecting us. Remember, we say often that nothing is neutral. Everything is impacting us in one way or the other, positively or negatively. It either is drawing us closer to the Lord and helping shape us further into the image of Christ, or it is deforming us in ways that uh, can be devastating, not just to us, but to our friends and neighbors and to our worship. 
And so uh, it is important that we recognize and not think uh, as so often that we do with a Western mindset that we only look at grand changes, right? Now, it's great to lose 50 pounds. I'm trying to maybe not lose quite that much, but, but it's important that we recognize that there are all the decisions that we make that help lose pound by pound or affect whether or not we lose a little bit more or a little bit less. And so too often we're only assessing when something is grand, some big change happens, some big accomplishment is made, when in reality our habits and our patterns are, are affecting us in more ways than we recognize. Let me illustrate. What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? All of us have a pattern of some sort and habits of some sort that affect uh, how most of the rest of the day is going to go for us, right? Many people, and there's an, a good bit of research on this, grab their iPhone first and they get online and it stirs up things within their own biochemistry, their own brain chemistry uh, that set a particular tone for the whole rest of the day that they're not even really thinking about. Now that's a habit. That's a pattern that is having an impact on us, much like water slowly over a rock begins to form a groove over time, and that groove over long periods of time can become a canyon. We need to take stock of uh, the various ways in which we, we are, are living out the and making use of the various things in our lives. Same could be asked of what's your pattern or your habit before you go to bed? What has been your pattern or habit for where you get your news? What has been your pattern or habit for which way you turn when, when you are frustrated or anxious or tired or have had a tough day, right? Those things shape and form us and, and, and create in us more than just the result or, or the, the pattern or the habit of the thing that we do. It's not just about that. It's the kind of character uh, the, the kind of virtues that it's cultivating within us, right? And so here what Paul's going to say is your, your baptism is a means of grace, right? He's, he's been making this argument for the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 6. He's been laying out very clearly the great indicatives of, of what our baptism means, the justification that we have been so wonderfully granted in Christ. And remember, that's our being declared righteous, not just forgiven, not just declared not guilty, but actually made into a, an heir of all the heavenly promises. A son or daughter of the God Most High has access to every riven thing we could ever need, and yet how little do we turn to Him? And this is where baptism can be helpful to us, to remind us of our identity, for us to, to remember we are justified in Christ. We are family members. And then, and then even greater, we can walk in newness of life. We are no longer slaves. We have uh, an, an empowerment in the Spirit through the resurrection of Christ that, that affords us to live life more abundant, right? So often, I, I'm sure you're like me, when you hear uh, that phrase, the abundant life, you, you kind of look around at your own life and maybe even the lives of others, and you wonder, well, what exactly does that look like? This is where our baptism as a means of grace can be very helpful to us. And it can be helpful to us as we make assessment of the various things in our lives and how it's shaping us, right? Baptism is to be formative. It is to form us further into the image of Christ. It is to draw us closer to the Lord our God. It is to set us free in His grace, in His love, in His mercy, in His forgiveness. 
And so <clears throat> after the indicatives, now come the imperatives. This is a frequent pattern throughout scripture where the, the, the beauty of God's character, the, the wonder of Christ's work on our behalf serves as the firm foundation from which we now respond. We are called to respond in obedience. It's not the other way around. The imperatives don't precede the indicatives. It is only because of the indicatives of God's character, the indicatives of, of Christ's finished work, the indicatives of the power of the Holy Spirit that then allow us to have any sort of thought about what the imperatives are, what we, what we get to do now because of our freedom in Christ. And so let's pick it up in verse 12. He says, let not sin therefore, and remember when you see a therefore, you have to ask that great question of why is it therefore? What is it therefore? And it's because, and this is where we could go back and read the other 11 verses because of all the indicatives of what Christ has done for us in his death and resurrection. So because of the death and resurrection of Christ as imputed to us, as signified and sealed for us in our baptism, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Now, there's a few things that we need to pay close attention to. First and foremost, by, by virtue of him saying, let not sin therefore reign, uh, he's making it very clear that sin allows for no other allegiance. Sin is not interested. And, and, and remember, when we say sin, sin is not a thing in and of itself. It is, it is what rises in in our disobedience to the Lord, and it is Satan's instrument by which he seeks to entangle and snare and destroy us. So Satan, as we have frequently said, is not interested in followers. What he's interested in is food, which is us destroyed, right? The, the image of God has to be utterly snuffed out. Otherwise, uh, some measure of glory is still allowed to be displayed in the world. And so sin as Satan's instrument by which he is seeking to destroy the glory of God, by which uh, he is seeking to destroy us as God's image bearers, it, is, it, it, it reigns solely. It is a, a brutal tyrant that is uninterested in coexisting with saintliness or the fruit of the Spirit or fruits in keeping with repentance. And so it is critical that we recognize how exacting and demanding and tyrannical sin is in our lives. It is not something we can play with. It is not something we should take lightly. It is not something that is uh, to be scoffed at or mocked or laughed about. No, it is it's serious, deadly business because it is, it is the wages of sin is death. It, there's so much at stake. So us baptized ones need to be by virtue of our baptism and what it costs Jesus and what we have been freed from, we too should take it seriously. So the first imperative that he gives us is, is that we would let, not let sin reign in our mortal bodies, that we would, we would not give it a foothold, that we would be swift and this is very important because he is not talking about perfection here. That, that is not an argument that could be sustained from the book of Romans or any part of Romans. What he is saying here is that when you sin, that you would deal with it swiftly. You have been granted the gift of being able to deal with it swiftly because you are justified. You get to boldly come before the throne of grace to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. 
you get to be reminded that you are forgiven. This is where our baptism is so critical to us in the moments when we are tempted, in the moments when we fail, in the moments when we give in to sin. Giving in to sin is to not give it, to not allow it to reign. That's a little further down the track, right? And, but so often we fail to, in the initial faltering, the initial falling, to swiftly run, boldly run to the throne of grace to receive what we need to be reminded of our forgiveness, to be reminded of our justification. And so Paul makes it very clear that, that we need to be active. We need to be intentional about mortifying sin in our flesh. That, that we would, and he goes on to say, uh, um, that because it, it will make you obey its passions, right? That's part of its tyranny. That's part of its exacting rule. That's part of its unwillingness to allow for any other uh, uh, king to speak into the circumstance, any other uh, seat uh, within the throne room itself of sin. And, and so he, he goes on to say, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So it's not just that he's saying, even when uh, sin, which is crouching at our door and, and seeks to entangle us, right? We are to be active once that process has started to mortify it, to put it to death, right? That Paul's recognizing there will be circumstances where we're going to get tangled up. We're going to falter. We're going to fall. But it's important that we remember who we are and whose we are in those moments. And then he also makes it clear now even further that we would be active in, uh, so you mortify once, once you have stumbled, you mortify in the midst of temptation, but even more we need to be active in, and this is the second imperative, in not presenting ourselves as members or, or instruments for unrighteousness, right? So that, that, that we would actually grow in our understanding of the things that tangle us up, of the things that prove to be uh, uh, devastating for us or prove to be deadly to us, causing us to sin, right? So this is part of why it's important to take an ongoing assessment of one's life and look at our habits and patterns, going back to a couple that we mentioned earlier. Is how you start your day, is it, is it causing you to forget who and whose you are in some way, form, or fashion? That is a fantastic diagnostic question for us, is how you end your day in some form or fashion causing you to forget who and whose you are? Uh, that's another great diagnostic question. Just looking at the, the, what bookends and sets tone potentially for our days. There's other questions you could obviously ask throughout the day. Another good one is when you're anxious or frustrated or angry, what do you turn to? And how is it forming and shaping you? Again, nothing is neutral. Are you turning to lovers less wild than the Lord our God? Are you, are you turning to things with an ungrateful heart? Are you, are you turning yourself over to things in, in forms and fashions that cause you to behave in a sinful manner? This is an important question for us, and we need to mortify, put to death the, the things that are earthly within us, the things that are causing us to turn from God. And this is an ongoing process, right? While we are still some mix of saint sinner, and this is why baptism becomes an ongoing means of grace, not just a historical artifact. And so he's saying that by virtue of your baptism, you have the power to deal with sin when it is sprung up in you, to not let it gain a foothold, to not reign 
reign over you, and even more important, to, to grow in creatively being able to see the things that lead you down those paths in the first place, and that you would be active in mortifying and putting to death those things. In fact, Paul uses the same language in Colossians chapters 2 and 3. He, he speaks to them about their baptism and the glory of their sins being crucified with Christ and then being forgiven. And then he goes on to say, if you are raised with Christ, look to the right hand of the Father, not to the things of the earth. So he's essentially saying by virtue of your baptism and what it signifies and through your confession of faith, it has sealed you have the power to not get tangled up in the things of the earth, to look to where Christ is seated on high, to, to be reminded that you are sealed, justified for eternity in Jesus, and that you will be glorified. It says when he returns, our lives will be revealed, and, and we will be revealed as the sons and daughters of the God Most High, and there will be great rejoicing and feasting, uh, and the new heavens and the new earth and all things will be made new. What a, a wonderful thing, wonderful hope that shouldn't impact how we live now because we are risen with Christ. And he goes on to say, uh, therefore, put to death that which is earthly within you. And, and again, uh, the Colossians 2 and 3 would be a great place for you to to go this week and read and meditate and prayer, uh, and in prayer, pray the scriptures that the Lord would help you in the power of the Spirit to further understand the, the depths and the glories of what your baptism signifies and how you might be able to creatively use it in circumstances such as temptation and failure and even more importantly in proactive mortification. The putting to death of the things that draw you away from who and whose you are. The glory of God loving your neighbor, those kinds of things. So he, he continues. Uh, now he gives us another imperative. So he says, do not present yourself as instruments for unrighteousness, uh, but instead present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, as those who have been baptized. And so we are not only to mortify, which I, I think we... Uh, tend to overemphasize or only emphasize, we are also, and even in greater measure, to vivify, right? We are to display the glory of God. We are to be instruments of His righteousness. And remember, God's righteousness is His character displayed in the world. The fact that He is steadfast in love, that should be displayed in and through us. The fact that He is forgiving, should be displayed in and through us. The fact that he is just, and remember justice is a relational term that should be displayed in and through us. Uh, the fact that he is long-suffering, patient, kind, merciful, all of that should be displayed in and through us. And that doesn't happen accidentally, right? That, that is an intentioned and cultivated thing. That's one of the great mistakes that I think that we make in our discipleship is we have this presumption that the fruit of the Spirit is just going to come flying out of us accidentally, that, that the Spirit is just going to fling love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control out of us randomly. No, it has to be cultivated. That is one of the ringing bells over and over and over again is we've been given this wonderful and glorious raw material and we've been given the, the capability and the power and the access to everything we could need to cultivate it into something glorifying to God. 
and we have been invited into the process, right? It's not, it's not just done for us accidentally. It is done in and through us along with our participation, cultivation. And listen, that is good for us. That helps us to further and more deeply appreciate what Christ has done for us and how deeply God loves us. That is a gift to us. That is, a, that, that, is that we get to display or vivify God's righteousness in the world. And so we have to present ourselves. We have to put ourselves in position to grow in those things and then put ourselves in positions to display those things. And yes, some of it occurs uh, through God's sovereign uh, providence. That's how everything occurs, actually. But we need to be intentionally prayerful for the eyes to see and the ears to hear of those opportunities, right? So one of the ways in which we would daily present ourselves is to ask the Lord with the minutes and the hours that he will entrust to us on any given day to give us eyes to see and ears to hear where he is at work and how we may join him in that work. Psalm 90 is a great psalm to, to, to pray on a regular basis, if not daily, uh, to help frame and form and shape us uh, as people who are looking for where God is at work, looking for opportunities to display his righteousness, looking for opportunities to love our neighbor, looking for opportunities to love God. But so often we're just leaving it to chance and we're choosing habits and patterns and behaviors that don't lead us in that direction. And so we frequently find ourselves in these desert places, in these places where we're not experiencing the, the, the walking in newness of life, the abundant life. Remember, the abundant life in Christ is not a materialistic Western concept. The abundant life in Christ means you are abundant with love and mercy and grace and kindness, and, and you are abundant with opportunities that are eternal in nature, which so often run against the grain of our lust for efficiency and effectiveness and success and material things. And so our baptism helps to remind us that we are not cogs in the commodified exchange machine that we are not products, we're people who are loved and who, who are fashioned into the image of Christ and who have been given the opportunity to hope and be creative and to make a difference in the lives of other people who are not commodities in our commerce, in our economies. And so our baptism helps to remind us of that. Our baptism helps to shape us, form us in that way. And so he reminds them that the whole, again, he, he has laid out the imperatives and he returns to an indicative to help them remember why they get to do what they get to do. For sin will have no dominion over you. For you are not under law, meaning you're, you're not under the effects of the law. You're not under the wages of sin any longer because that's, that's all that could be accomplished in the law because the law had been weakened by the flesh. Now, the law is still a, an important instrument for us because it, it calls us to love God and love neighbor, and it helps us to think through some specific ways to do it. It gives us the banks of the river for the abundant life. But what we are no longer under is the sword of the law, the 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 consequence of failing to keep it perfectly, which we have all done and continue to do, by the way. But he says, instead, you are under grace. It is God's grace 
that is that 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 changes everything. It is God's grace that should be forming us into the kind of people who can be instruments in his redemptive hands. It should be God's grace that we long for others to taste and see that he is good and that we recognize we could never give it all away even if we tried for an eternity. We should be those who are humbled and joyful and sorrowful at sin and lament the way that the world fails to glorify the Lord our God and fails to grant dignity to all who bear his image. That should be uh, something that we get to do. We get to lament, but not lament as those who have no hope, but lament as those who are filled with the creative spirit that grants us opportunities to actually engage in and see things changed. We get to do all of that because we are baptized. And, and not just because we're baptized and that's it, but we're baptized as signifying what Christ has done for us. And we've responded in faith to what Christ has done for us to be filled with the Spirit. Right? Our baptism is representative of the reality. And so, uh, Christ Community Church, I, I would love to, to see us grow uh, in being able to use our baptisms as a means of grace. I would love to see the indicative truths of our baptism transformed into uh, the, the beauty of what we get to do, the imperative call to walk in newness of life, the uh, imperative call to live the abundant life through the mortification of sin. That's part of it. Like that has to be dealt with. Right, uh, Jonathan Edwards in, in his book on religious affections makes it very clear that it is, it is impossible for us to appreciate and see God's grace while at the same time turning ourselves over to the tyranny of sin. It blinds us. That's biblical language. And so we have to participate in the mortification of our own sins. And each of us wrestle with different things. This is why we must be specific. We must take stock. We must ask the Spirit to help us. We must look at how different things are forming and shaping us. Is it carrying us away from the Lord or drawing us to Him? And in addition to mortification, we get to vivify. We get to display the glory and character of God for His good and for the life of the world and for our joy. Don't forget that. Whenever the, the, those who are not presently part of the family of God come to know him, we get to be part of the party. We get to take joy in this grand eternal transformation. Right? When we get to see the, the good that comes from us living justly, the, the beauty that comes from us loving our neighbors, seeking reconciliation, uh, that is a great gift to us. We get to vivify that which this world so desperately needs and is gasping for, but doesn't understand, doesn't know that's what it needs, and in fact, frequently rejects it and seeks to snuff it out. Well, we get to be part of that light, that fire, not going out this side of eternity. We get to be part of God's great patience and long-suffering we get to be part of God's grace because that is what we are under and that is the instruments that we are called to be. And so listen to what Charles Hodge says about this passage. He says, religion is essentially active. Now, we've allowed that word religion to get twisted and turned and taken away and turned into an epithet or a bad word, but it shouldn't be. 
Uh, and it shouldn't be not by virtue of verbiage or abstractness. It should be re redeemed and purposeful in how we live in word and deed. And so he says religion is essentially active. It's not passive. And I understand in our justification, we do receive that passively. Our, the, the, the entry point into our salvation is passive. But we are called to active obedience not because we have to, only have to, we get to so that we can grow in our understanding of who and whose we are. So religion is essentially active. It is the yielding up of ourselves with all our powers to God and the actual employment of them as instruments in doing good. Nothing can be at greater remove from this than making religion a mere matter of indolent profession. So he's saying, essentially, if, if you only say with your mouth that you're a Christian, but your deeds do not match up, that is an, that is an obnoxious and noxious thing. We are not called to be perfect, but what we are called to be is forgiven and forgiving. And so uh, I want to ask you, how are you preparing regularly to be uh, an instrument for God's righteousness? Now, this is a daily reality, and, and, and this, is, this is, you may think, so, I, so you're telling me every day when I wake up, I got to do some grand religious practice to just get the day started? No, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, it, it would be better for every one of us if we didn't always turn to the grand displays and instead recognized the, the small obediences, the small ways in which how we start and end our days how we think through the, the gift of our days uh, be, begins to shape us, right? It could be as simple as a small prayer when you wake up that says, Lord, thank you for taking care of the world while I was asleep. Thank you that you didn't need me. But I, I now thank you that you are inviting me into the day to join you in the work that you're doing. Would you give me eyes to see and ears to hear? That literally took less than a minute. What, what if we had those kinds of, of prayers on our hearts and at our disposal? It could be a scripture that you read often. Repetition is not a bad thing. Repetition only becomes a bad thing when it becomes mindless. Repetition that helps us to be mindful is a good thing. And so uh, I want to challenge you. You're creative. You, you, you are filled with the Spirit. You, we, can, we can crowdsource this. There's all kinds of ways we can think about what would this look like? What does it look like for us to be active uh, in, in presenting ourselves and stepping forward as instruments for God's righteousness? Now, part of that is to take an inventory of the regular patterns and habits and behaviors that you have and how they're shaping or forming you. Or what kind of attitude is it shaping? How is it directing your heart or your gaze or your ear? And then what role do your daily habits and patterns play in this preparation? So that's part of taking that inventory, right? And so it's, it would be very helpful to, to you and to your family to do this together, to have this as a discussion, to be helpful for small groups to have this discussion. And to even in where you feel you can be vulnerable and safe to discuss the things that need to be mortified and how you would go about that. Um, again, you don't need to rush to extremes. You don't need to take an ax and destroy your router or destroy your MacBook computer necessarily, but the Lord leads you to do that. That's between you and him. But, but too often we rush to the extremes instead of recognizing 
just how important, just like our baptism that was this thing that was something we did in the past that we don't even probably remember the event itself necessarily, but continues like water rolling over a rock. Even though we haven't done a great job of cultivating it or improving upon it, the Lord has continued to use it in the power of the Spirit. Now, but what would it look like if we were to participate, we were to take up this means of grace that the Lord calls us to do, and Paul here calls us to cultivate uh, and use it for mortification and vivification. What a gift that would be to us as God's church, as God's people. Now, Romans 6, 12 through 14 teaches us that our baptisms serve as a means of grace in helping us to mortify sin and vivify God's righteousness in Christ. Christ Community Church, would you join me in, in praying that the Lord would mature us, mature us as a group. Not all, we're not all in the same place, and we're not going to all mature at the same rate, but, but that He would, uh, by virtue of His Spirit's work in various people, that it would be encouraging and call others to grow in maturity, but that we as a church would mature further into the image of Christ. That, that we who are baptized would take seriously what it signifies and seals in our justification and our sanctification, the call to vivify and to mortify. And so let, let us be a people who long, who hope, who grow further in the image of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the finished work of Christ that affords us the ability to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. That, that we would not be instruments of its degradation and deformation and destruction. And thank you, Lord, that in the power of the resurrection, we are able to serve. We get to serve as instruments of righteousness in your redemptive, glorious hands that we would be ambassadors of reconciliation, that we would cultivate the kinds of patterns and behaviors and habits that, that orient us to who and whose we are in you, that we would recognize the things that are dragging us away and we would recognize the consequence. Uh, again, it's a mindfulness that we desperately need uh, in, in, in all the minutes and hours of our days. It is essentially uh, what it looks like to pray without ceasing in some measure. So Lord, help us be creative, help us to be wise, help us to be humble, and help us to be dependent on you, on Christ who intercedes for us, and on the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.